everyone, and welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. I'm Jonathan, your host, and here at Redbeard Outdoors, I talk about faith, family, fitness, and the outdoors, hoping to encourage you on your journey as I go along in my journey and just simply want to share with you the different steps that I take, the things that go through my mind, uh, the gear that I use, and the conversations that I get to have with some amazing individuals like today's conversation. So just to review, guys, Monday is the gear reviews. Wednesdays are the quick pick-me-ups, wake-up Wednesday, whatever you want to call them, in the middle of the week. And then Saturdays, I get to share the awesome conversations like today that I have with individuals in the outdoors, in fitness, whatever it may be, somehow you're going to learn something from today's conversation, guys. It's with Hano from Quattro Archery. The best stabilizers on the market, bar none. They look amazing. They function great. And if you're in the market, definitely go check them out. But before we get into this conversation, guys, I do want to give a quick shout out to our show partners. First and foremost, we've got First Form and First Form Outdoors. We have, of course, the show is brought to you by Alpen Fuel, Heather's Choice, my go-to nutrition for backcountry meals. We've got Black Ovis. All in Digiscoping, A3 Archery Bowstrings, Cryptech, Kestrel Glassing Systems, of course Quattro Archery, Absolute Aid CBD Chewables, Affect Beard Oil. If you guys have any questions about these companies, definitely reach out to me. I'd love to answer your questions, point you in the right direction. Again, I love being able to work with these great companies that just provide quality items for you in whatever aspect of your life that you're looking to use them in daily, backcountry needs, whatever it may be, reach out to me. I'd love to help. And of course, if you're not in the Redbeards Fit Crew and First Form Outdoors Facebook group, guys, definitely go join up over there. Amazing communities of people that are just trying to live happier, healthier, more successful lives. And I want that for you. So go join us over there. Now, without further ado, let's get into the conversation here with Hano from Quattro Archery. All right, everyone, I've got an amazing guest here, Hanno from Quattro Archery out of South Africa. They make the best stabilizers on the market, and I rock them on my bows, um, especially the one you see right there. They just, they're so clean, they function really well, and I wanted to have Hanno on here so he could talk about um, his company, what he does, his brain is a lot bigger than mine, so he can definitely explain uh, the details behind the stabilizers. But Hano, who are you, and uh, I guess what got you into archery? Um, so I am about 26 years old uh, and a few months now. Um, I've grew up in the archery or slash hunting industry. Um, my dad did a professional hunting course Um while he was still in his younger days um so i got dragged into this whole archery hunting thing through him uh luckily um because otherwise i should have uh, well i had to stick with um rifles and so on which is not as much fun as the archery stuff so i've been <laughs> at it since i was about seven and um yeah i i think when this bug bit me it uh, it actually left a mark and uh, some of the poison and stuff inside of me and i just yeah couldn't leave it since then um i went on to complete my engineering degree a few years back and i had the opportunity to do my final year project on the business um it was actually during covid uh i i couldn't reach any corporate companies uh to to do this assignment through so uh, i i just stuck with the business and took a chance on it and um the the whole um university thing actually gave me a chance to um to transition into the business without going into the corporate world uh which was actually surreal um i couldn't have it any other way uh, or a better way for that matter and um it the the product came from a need um i was into into target archery uh, we struggled to get some really stiff bars here in south africa we had the the usual bee stingers and doinkers but um i felt like i needed something more uh not to bash the their brands they have amazing products as well um i mean that brought me to the point where i am 
uh, today. Um, but I'm one of those guys. I'm almost ne never satisfied and always hungry for more. Um, and I want to squeeze every last drop of performance out of my equipment. Um, and I felt like I reached a ceiling somewhere on my bow. And um, the stabilizers were something that I struggled with. Um, in terms of length, stiffness, uh, the amount of weight that it could handle. Um, so I went on to, to put a few engineers while I was still a first year student. I didn't even know what I was letting myself into. Um, but I had civil and mechanical engineers in my family. Um, and yeah, I piggybacked on the uh, brain cells and their knowledge of uh, the, the working world to construct a product. Um, I soon sat with a few prototypes. Some of them did not work as expected um, <laughs> because we took some shortcuts and uh, others worked really, really, really well. And um, we, we ran with the whole project. So this was more uh, on the target archery side, not even for hunting. Um, in that year, I had the junior worlds uh, held in Yankton, South Dakota. and um, I actually shot the the junior worlds with my own stabilizers, and uh, for all the backup bows in the team, I built some stabilizers uh, for them as well to complete the kits, um, just to get everybody That's up awesome. and running. Should something happen, we we had a whole quattro representation through the junior team uh, on the line, which was actually quite cool. Uh, being there myself with my own product um, was was something really, really, really cool. Um, and yeah, I, I also soon learned that if something is not looking slick, although it works, it won't sell really well. So the whole entrepreneurial <laughs> thing <laughs> had to uh, yeah. catch up quickly with me. Um, and yeah, obviously I knew that the the main market is actually sitting in the U.S., so I had to go through a lot of paperwork through the taxman to in, in order for us to to export. Um, but yeah, going through all the, the right channels and stuff, um, I decided that we should really do something for the hunting market as well. Um, taking everything that we've learned on the target archery side, which already works and just shrink it down for your hunter or your archer wants to shoot every day but not with this broomstick like thing um of a monster bow um weird looking setup or anything but just to further enhance the hunting bow and what it actually can do um so this whole thing started on the hunting bow when i had some um cutoffs from the from the target archery um carbon tubes uh odds and ends it was a bit overkill i think we are still overkilling it uh quite a bit but uh, yeah with with that target stabilizers from that time it was completely unnecessary um and yeah i i obviously wanted to um, maximize performance out of hunting bows as well um, and this whole sidebar thing was still catching on and i think i just yeah, I took the last bit of uh, gas in the can and just poured it over the fire uh, with all of our marketing and stuff because I don't think I can hunt with a bow without a side stabilizer anymore. I, I've completely <laughs> ruined it for myself. Um, but I'm also one of those guys, if it works, I just freaking run with it. So, um, yeah, that's basically the backstory. Um, I had a uh, a few amazing opportunities that presented itself, grabbed it with both hands. Um, and I wouldn't want it any other way. That's amazing. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I love having people on the podcast that uh, have, they see a, maybe a gap or a hole or a problem and they, instead of sitting back and just complaining about it, you went out and you found a solution, you created your own solution and you didn't work through necessarily the normal means of doing it, but you, uh, took it on yourself to figure out the manufacturing and create your own business. And now you guys are doing awesome stuff. I mean, your stabilizers look super clean. Um, and that is a big thing, you know, people want, and, and that's something that actually is interesting when I did my reviews on the bows this year and why I was going with Hoyt. Um, I brought up something that not a lot of people talk about, which is the aesthetics of mm. the bow. 
And I don't know if people are scared to talk about it because they might think it's a little uh, arrogant or whatever to talk about how something looks, but you want it to look good. I mean, you want to, you want it to look good. You want it to perform good. And, and it's hard to find a good combination of both. There's a lot of things out there that perform good, but you look at it and you're like, ah, I don't want to rock that. You know, I don't want that on my bow. And then, uh, and then you've got some other things that look really nice, but the moment you take it out in the woods, it falls apart on you. And so finding Absolutely. that mix of the two is really awesome. And that's what I've found in, in your stabilizers that they just work really well. Um, so, you know, you started in the target world, uh, and then you got into hunting. Now, I guess, talk to us a little bit about hunting down in South Africa and how, um, you guys pretty much can hunt year round, right? Absolutely. So, um, I think this, the, the, my whole archery, uh, if I can call it a career, um, started with, with hunting. Uh, we've been hunting since we were in diapers. And then the moment we could pull back the string, um, I've, you know, I've never touched on rifles ever again, which is actually quite sad. We have some really nice rifles, but, um, yeah, it's it's just not my cup of tea. I, I love hunting with them, but it's not as much fun as with the bow. Um, we also do not have this very strict seasons or uh, caps that the government um, puts on us. We, um, we can basically drive out to a farm and just hunt whatever the field presents to you uh, or whatever falls into your budget if i can call it that um it's it's really as simple as that obviously you have your mating seasons um which uh yeah it, it makes it a bit harder um especially if you want to look after uh your your game on the farm um in terms of breeding so you do not want to hunt female animals um that much some parts of the year and then uh other parts of the year it depends on what uh, style uh, pursuit you are after. Um, late season uh, for us, uh, well, let me start this way. Our, our season or winter technically starts in the month of May. Um, then when the first cold comes through, um, it actually freezes the grass and uh, most of the grass dies off. So the, the animals will start to feed on um more on trees going more to water holes so if you're hunting from a blind to a tree stand um that is definitely uh, a strategy that you can you know construct and then obviously uh, we also have the moon on this side of the world um so looking at your moon phases and so on also um affects our, our animal movement really 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 hard um and they can be sneaky as well. Uh, hunting animals in different territories of the country will also present its own challenges. Um, like the oryx um, in uh, the the northern part of our country where rainfall is, it, it's not complete drought, but the, the rainfall is somewhat limited, um, will present its own challenges because they can go days on end without any water. Um, and then also you get parts of the country that can make a kudu stand out and then others just disappear in pure shade. Uh, just by walking underneath a tree, you won't even see it through the crispiest maven like us, Swarovski uh, binoculars, you really need some sharp eyes. So it's it's actually a free-for-all uh, type of situation but most of the farms tend to look after the uh, after the game and then obviously do their own population control um, and then if, if you go up north in Africa to like let's say Mozambique they have this huge concessions of 250,000 hectares um, we they they give you a license to hunt uh, during certain periods if I'm not mistaken and then also for certain species and you can uh, only subtract a certain amount of animals per year um, how strict they are regulating that i do not know because uh, yes it's like the wild west in some of these parts in africa um so it's uh it's it's not 
a tricky situation like you guys have. Well, I call it a tricky situation because we don't have any rules whatsoever when to hunt with um, with certain weapons or anything like that. Uh, so it was it was quite interesting for me to to get to know how most of the states um, works year round, um, when you can hunt, when you not uh, cannot hunt, um, and yeah, it's just basically following a bunch of guys on Instagram and then picking up a pattern. Okay, it's bow season, it's game on, it's it's opening day, um, which is kind of cool. Um, I think you guys are yeah, I think your admin is uh is is on point and um there's obviously a lot more guys knowing what they're doing and knowing what to what mm -hmm. to achieve at the end i think for us um most of the numbers control is um it's actually not in the government's uh hands it's uh it's purely in the farmer's hands so if um if if we see something on a farm um, that we hunted hard for, let's say the past five years, let's say it was kudus, then you will actually take the kudus off the price list until their population gets back up and running uh, to 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 some healthy numbers. Um, but on other farms, you want to let's say remove zebras. So um, they if if they can't take off the last two or three. Uh, they will literally get in a chopper uh, and take it out in the air. Um, so wow. it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's completely different, um, but it's nice because you don't feel as restricted. Uh, and mm -hmm. I, I don't think we really realize um, what that build up to the hunting season feels like. We just yeah throw a bunch of gear on the back of the truck and then drive out two or three four hours and then you are in the middle of nowhere and um, nobody can bother you. There's no signal um, and then yeah you can hunt whatever you want. Yep. No, that's awesome. Yeah, that that's something that I'm definitely interested in because uh, there's definitely some some animals I wanna I wanna go after and. I did just recently find out, though, apparently you can't ship meat back from Africa. Um, no, from, you can't ship it back to the U.S., not. which blows my mind. And that's one big reason why I haven't pursued hunting a lot out in Africa is just because I, I want the meat for me and my family. And um, and I'm more of a Euro mount kind of guy where I, I'm not a full mount kind of kind of person. So, um you know, eventually it'll it'll make it on the list, but I think it's crazy that we can't ship the meat back. Uh, I just spoke with someone that went on a water buffalo or a Cape buffalo hunt with a bow. Mm. First of all, that blew my mind. I'm like, why why would you go after a 2,000 pound animal with a bow that can charge <laughs> you and is known to kill people just like hippos do, and uh, mm. yet you still went after it, whatever. But um, you know, you couldn't ship any of that meat home. They had to donate it to no. the the local tribes and and people there. So um, that's crazy to me. It just it it blows my mind that you can't do that. It's it's insane. I I think that we uh, at this current stage we can't even ship out normal um, beef meat um, out of mm. the country. We have this thing, uh, and it's probably the worst translation uh, for this disease. Um, so in Afrikaans, which is my home language, they call it the back and close ear, um, disease, um, which translates to the mouth and claw, uh, disease. So it's, um, I'm, I'm not uh, a biologist and I do not really know what, it, uh, um, what it pertains exactly, but, uh, mm. they, there's a lot of stuff that can be carried to the States in our meat that you guys do not really necessarily want to deal with. Um, right. it can ruin, uh, the, the, the food security, although we, we eat our, uh, all of our game meat. Um, that's actually what I hunt for, um, year, year round. So early season, I'll shoot two or three animals, uh, process all the meat. So it's everything from burger patties, sausages, uh, obviously a boatload of boltong, uh, drivers, um, and then 
I also take the back straps, make some delicious steaks out of that. Uh, the fillets are kept secret uh, in a, mm-hmm. in a um, almost in a vault-like package. You, you only touch <laughs> that on somebody's birthday or <laughs> for Christmas or so on. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so everything gets processed. And whatever we don't eat, we um, put it through the mincer uh, after processing all of our meat. And then we make the small packages for uh, for our dogs. And then we supplement mm-hmm. the already delicious dog food uh, with all of this. Um, I almost want to call it waste meat, um, but it's like mm-hmm. on the wounded areas, meat that you do not necessarily want to use for yourself. Um, so there's literally nothing the going to waste. Skin. Yes, the silver yes. skin, the sinew stuff that they can they can chew up and it'll benefit the the dogs, right? But not we don't necessarily want to eat it. Yeah, absolutely. And then we also have uh, um, a nice um, bandsaw that we um, use to uh, process all the bones and stuff through. Um, so they get put into this shopping bags and then get marked on. This is for the dogs. Uh, so every now and then uh, we we put a whole bag of that bones and stuff with the small little um, meat pieces and stuff. And we just, yeah, cook it for, cook it for the dogs and give it to them as treats. Uh, so there's literally awesome. not a single gram of meat that's going to waste. I mean, I'm paying for all of it. So I want to use it uh, as effectively as possible. Mm-hmm. And then also working on your own meat, you know, what's going into, um, into all of the spices or whatever the case might be. I think the most dodgy part is um, the burger patties and the sausages. Um, and then also the mince, uh, we love to work in um, the, the, the venison mince um, between all of the food. Uh, so we very rarely go out to the supermarket unless it's for, for poultry, um, buy some, uh, uh, red meat off the shelves because everything is sitting in the freezer and then when our stock levels dip to the end of the season we head out again mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes you are lucky then you get a nice trophy uh, while you add it and then yeah you know, some other times you just uh, go for the meat which is which is really nice it's super healthy and um, i recently found out that the oryx meat is superb so when you get a chance to hunt one in texas do it because you can use all of that meat i think you you will look differently at beef meat after tasting the oryx mm-hmm. no for sure so yeah i and you read my mind because i was going to ask you what's your favorite game meat so uh <laughs> yeah the oryx that's all. i've heard really good things about it i've heard it's actually it was surprising. Some people that have gone down to Texas and tried it, um, they were a little, they were actually kind of shocked because isn't that the one that is like, it's got the, like the devil horns. I mean, it's like straight up and they're super, they're super straight, right? Yes. Isn't that the they, okay. Yes. That's the Oryx. Um, the, the, the horns tend to get mm-hmm. um, quite long. I, I think the world record is about like 48 to 49 inches, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it, yeah, I, I, I can be wrong, but, um, it's, they, That's they crazy. tend to get super long and, um, it, they, they, they seem like they are very durable, but when you take them, you can actually flex them. So they also do fight mm-hmm. a lot and they tend to snap them off and they will actually like splinter, um, at the end and then just mm-hmm. grow back, uh, slightly so you'll find that the ones especially the bulls working really hard with their horns um most of the time one of them are a bit shorter than the other one um that's that's also a way of uh telling out which are a bit more mature than others because you can really make a stupid mistake if they are um in uh in a group then some of the small ones can look really, really, really big uh, until some of the monsters step out. But it's just purely because you you have a misperception looking through the glass, uh, and then yeah, when you get to the get to the animal on the ground, you're like, 
this was a bit smaller than what I hoped for. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> you you run into problems like that as well. Um, but yeah, obviously with with uh, with other game like Impala, Kudus, Eland, um, it's very hard to misjudge the size because you can. Um, it's it's almost like measuring. Um, a mountain goat or something like mm. that uh, of, of that sort or a whitetail um, for that matter because you can immediately see okay uh, on the coat the color of the coat and then also on the antlers um, how hard he's worked and so on scars on yeah. his face um, that type of stuff um, but usually I, I think most of our meat is is very edible um, it, it gets wild when when you start eating zebra um, and then the warthog you have to make salami or sausages or uh, cabanossi just to to um, deaden that wild taste of um, of the mm. animal with some spices and then um, the the funny stuff is also like when you get to the big five um like with your elephants um your buffalo and then obviously the cat mm -hmm. meat yeah, it, it's a bit dodge i think you can eat it i think if, if if that's the last thing left and you had to fight your way until that thing dies with your bare hands then i'll definitely eat it um <laughs> and then apparently the crocodile uh, tail is some of the softest steak that you can get your hands on. I haven't tried it yet, mm. um, but the guys say it's uh, really, really, really great meat. I haven't tasted giraffe yet. Um, I will. I will definitely uh, try it out. And then ostrich is another um, meat that the guys love here. Um, you can buy ostrich meat off some of the supermarket shelves. It depends on what hmm. uh, part of the country you are. Um, but yeah, like most of the stuff, I'll say 95% of the stuff is really good meat to eat. Um, so awesome. I think we are obviously blessed uh, in that regard. And some of the stuff is really tasty. You have this wild taste, but it's not... Um, in in such a way that then uh, when you smell it, it it puts you off or anything like that it's just mm. the texture is there but with a different flavor no i hear that yeah that's awesome i uh yeah i'm, I'm interested in in going down to texas and getting after some some exotics and oryx is definitely on the list um but that that's really cool to hear how many different game meats you've tried um, with the warthog now i know wild pig uh, is obviously different, but similar in a way. And uh, with the warthog, have you ever tried to slow cook it, where you you just take a like a chunk of it and put it in the slow cooker with some some spices? Like for me, it would be like a spicy barbecue sauce, and you cook it for uh, like eight to ten hours, and then you shred it and you put it over rice or potatoes. Have you ever done that before? I haven't done that before. I think that sounds really delicious, and I'll definitely do that with my next one um but yeah i i've smelled some of the stuff that the guys have been cooking up and if you do not use a ton of spice um mm. then yeah even even the slightest smell coming through uh while <laughs> cooking it will, will turn your stomach upside yeah. down um but putting it into stuff like salamis and sausages uh, yeah because obviously you use different types of meats and other other fats right. uh, with that meat processing um, stages, uh, which also helps to to get rid of um, yeah that that nasty taste. And it obviously also depends on how old the animal is. Um, we've had mm -hmm. some really old animals, and it was just the chewiest meat that you can get your hands oh, on. Man, uh, so yeah, it. That sucks, and you have to prepare it in a certain way to get it, uh, you know, to to not bounce between your teeth. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, they, there's definitely if if you hunt your younger animals, you might not go um, and fetch as much meat as you wanted to, but you'll have a higher chance of getting everything to be. Um, a bit more tastier and then with the while and everything 
processing all the meat and so on. So that's something that I've picked up over the last few years. Um, go for the middle-aged animals. It's big enough so that you can get um, a, uh, a good price per um, per, per kilogram um, because we always um, compare it to the stuff that's on the supermarket uh, shelves. Mm-hmm. So we obviously want to get in beneath your um, your beef prices. Um, and we do get it right sometimes. It it just depends on where you hunt and how much you shoot. Some sometimes um, the the farmers are a bit lenient. Um, if you go with a whole truckload of meat away, then you you tend to get a bit better price on the animals. Um, so it's it's not uh, it's it's something you can work around, uh, which obviously helps if you if you want to feed somebody off the meat, and mm-hmm. then. Um, yeah, I've, it's, uh, I'm definitely going to try the water one coming back to that. Uh, it's, I, I love trying different recipes. Um, and I think it is, it's one of those skills. So yet here's another, uh, perspective of what's happening in South Africa. Most of the guys will go out and hunt. Um, so we, we, we are people who do not really like to struggle a lot. Um, so we want mm. stuff to to be done quickly, and uh, so most of the guys will um, will go and hunt for the season, and they'll just go and drop off the meat um, at uh, at the butchery, and um, the butchery will process all the meat for them, pack it, and you pay them a fee, obviously, and you go and collect all your mm-hmm. meat again. Um, but for me. It's it's nice to to see how everything comes together. What is the better pieces of meat? Um, where to shoot or how to read a situa- uh, situation differently uh, with the next hunt in order to to get a uh, a cleaner kill and not let mm-hmm. the excitement take over. Uh, because with the products and stuff, you tend to ruin the whole front part of the carcass mm-hmm. uh, because our our mm-hmm. vitals. Um, are a bit more forward than what the whitetail stuff um, is. Every time I see a video uh, of somebody shooting a whitetail, I'm like, that's too far back because we are not used to <laughs> shooting it that far back. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. uh, that was something yeah. to get used to as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's all in all a good skill. Um, it's obviously a challenge, um, but it's super rewarding every time you grab a package of meat and you know where it comes from. Um, and all the work has been done uh, and I'm more than happy to repeat the process in order to get this super lean um, healthy meat for the next season as well I think that might change when we go to Europe um, but that's why I'm going this December so that I can see if we can still hunt with the bow there all right guys brief intermission just wanted to remind you that we're coming up on 200 episodes and there's going to be an amazing giveaway actually multiple giveaways and actually quattro archery is going to be one of them you're going to be able to win some stabilizers from quattro archery and hano himself is going to get them sent to you so make sure that you are looking out for the 200th episode giveaway i'm going to space them out because there's been so many amazing companies that want to join in on this giveaway so make sure you go follow over on instagram and pay attention during the podcast so that you can make sure that you get signed up, you get entered, so that you can win some amazing gear from some of the show partners. Thanks so much, guys. And, of course, your personal invite to Redbeard's Fit Crew. Love to have you over there. Come join us over at Redbeard's Fit Crew. And, of course, First Form Outdoors, let them know Redbeard sent you. Now let's get back to this conversation. Yeah, and I I just um, spoke with someone that's in. He said he's. I think he said he's right outside of London or something like that. And he was saying that it's hard to hunt with a bow, so that might be an issue. You might just have to come to the U.S., man. I'm telling you, you guys got to get over here, get to Texas. <laughs> I'm trying. But, uh, I'm trying really hard. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely understand that. I I definitely get that. It, it's not as easy. It's easy to say. But it's not as easy when you have a whole business that you're moving over, um, you know, and all the paperwork that goes in behind that and, uh, you know, just getting everything set up. But but yeah, it would be awesome, you know, and I I think everyone would be super stoked uh, to get you guys here. And I really hope 
you know, with, with the Europe situation, I hope that, uh, you guys are able to hunt with a bow over there, but I don't, I don't know all the regulations. I just was talking to a guy that was saying it was a little bit harder, um, to go after mm. big game with a bow out there. So oh, you might have absolutely. to get into, you might have to get into the silencer business. <laughs> uh, I'll think about that. I've had a few thoughts uh, about the silencer business, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll I'll try my chances with the bow in Europe. Um, so <laughs> I know that in in the UK, it's um, yeah, they they are not really keen for hunting with a bow. There's actually a lot of parts of Europe that they they want. Um, it's it's more of a success rate problem and they feel mm. like the guys are not uh, capable or not knowing what they um, what they are doing in order to make a clean mm. easy kill and then obviously Europe is a lot smaller than what Africa um, and compared to the US is uh, so mm-hmm. I won't say that most of the uh, surface area is populated but um, I think that obviously plays a huge role and um, actually, a fun fact uh, mentioning the success rate, the success rate with a buffalo um, hunting it with a bow is much greater than with a rifle, just purely because really? of the sound. Yeah, because of the sound difference, they are totally unaware, especially if they uh, walk around in big herds. Um, they, they do not tend to scare off the rest of the herd and uh, get mm-hmm. into this whole. Uh, commotion where they want to um, yeah mash you up with their with their bigots and stump stump you with their feet. Um, my dad has been to Mozambique um, to to hunt a few buffaloes over there, and he shot one on forty yards, and the rest of the herd was completely unaware of what was going on. Hmm. Um, the the buffalo cow just you know took a wide circle and came back and she expired a bit closer to where she stand from my dad. Um, and oh, that's awesome. he said, su- surprisingly, the arrow went right through. So obviously uh, your shot placement is still key uh, on the bigger animals. Mm-hmm. And then his setup was like spot on. Um, we, one of my friends wrote, uh, he's, uh, he has OCD like crazy. Uh, he's also an engineer, and he wanted to calculate what is the optimal arrow weight for his bow. And um, so he ended up, um, it was a few years back, he uh, worked for an IT company, so he was into a lot of coding, programming, and so on. So you wrote this massive Excel spreadsheet where you punch in your uh, bow's <laughs> data, your draw length, draw weight, and then this program spits out three different arrow weights. Uh, one for speed, one for kinetic energy, and one for momentum. And uh, wow. I went back and then punched in all of this um, data for my dad's setup when he hunted the buff- uh, yeah, the buffalo. And his momentum was like spot on. I think we were like five or six, uh, six grains off the optimal arrow weight. Um, so, yeah, besides the story, um, it's... Uh, Coming back to Europe, it's it's obviously going to be a challenge. I'm giving up a lot in terms of hunting on this side, but uh, for me, in order to to get the business to excel, uh, bring more uh, of our products and ideas to market, that will be definitely the right place to um, to yeah. set foot in. And we we obviously have a lot of help on that side, which makes life a bit easier. So I can keep my head mm-hmm. on the manufacturing side while they take care of all the paperwork, the moving of stuff. Uh, obviously, I will be involved in, in each and every process. But, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's the first step in, in the right direction. It's, uh, it's a big step. And then, obviously, it's closer to the U.S. Uh, so the next step is just across the pond. It uh, doesn't seem to yep. be that hard. Just across the pond into Texas. we got to get you into Texas or Utah, <laughs> man. I'm telling you, that's like the heart. Absolutely. Uh, I'd even say... I'd even say Utah because it's like I didn't realize how many, um, you know, how much archery industry is in Utah itself and uh, how many companies there are here. And I was talking with someone, too. It's interesting because a lot of the eastern hunters 
aren't really into stabilizers. Stabilizers aren't really a thing for them. If they are, they just use the mm. ones that come on the bow or the little, you know, four inch stabilizer or a tacticam, you know, something like that, because they're like, I'm shooting 20 yards and I don't need a stabilizer hanging off my bow in a tree stand. And so I don't, I don't see a lot of people using them until you get out to the Midwest and then some people use them and then you get out Western hunting and just about everyone uses them. <laughs> and, uh, and I agree that like, so my first setup, my first bow, which is this one right here. Um, the very first setup I had was like a, a 10 inch stabilizer off the front and that was it. Like I didn't want to mess with sidebars. I thought it was too bulky, um, when I was first getting into it. And then mm. I ran a sidebar or a back bar. Some people may call it, uh, with, with my second bow and I absolutely loved it. And then now I've moved it over to this setup because I'm waiting on my other bow to get in. And, uh, <clears throat> and so it's, it, it definitely changes the game when it comes to shooting things like total archery challenge or mountain archery fest or out West where you're not getting those 10, 15 yard shots on a consistent basis. You're shooting further. Like your average shots probably around 40 yards on an animal yeah, or further. Um, it makes a big difference. So I guess talk to us a little bit about that. Cause I, I don't think that I mentioned you're an engineer. Like I did mention, you've got a bigger brain than me when it comes to these things. So you're a lot <laughs> smarter about these kind of things. Uh, but talk to us a little bit about, I guess, the importance of stabilizers. You mentioned the stiff, you couldn't find a stiff one uh, when you started, you know, your company. Uh, but I guess just mention that the, the importance of stabilizers on a bow, why everyone should use them in different scenarios. So the particular problem that I uh, really struggled with, um, where the stiffness comes in, um, your, your bow is basically a vibration machine. Uh, everything oscillates when it pushes the arrow forward. Uh, so um, the the rest of your gear um, has to absorb or translate that shock into some other movement um, and or send it back to the bow and then just let the whole system get to harmony each time you pull the trigger. And um, one of the problems that I struggled with is my my uh, target bow was not as heavy. It was a Bowtech specialist, uh, phenomenal bows. Mm. I loved that thing a lot. Um, but in order to make up for the lacking um, bear weight of the bow, I had a lot of weight on the front and back stabilizer. Um, and then also it didn't have that beefy uh, rises like on your uh, weight target bows. So th at that time, the weights were dominating the line, left, right, and center. Uh, it, it was the bows to shoot, um, but I really got a liking into the boutique bows at that time. Uh, so I ran with it. So one of the problems was when, when the shot comes through, you have all your fuel uh, weights stacked at your front stabilizer, your bow, and then your side stabilizer. When you pull the shot off um, and your stabilizer is not stiff enough, your bow would move in a direction, but the weights are standing still. So in order to get more consistency, you want this whole system to be a rigid frame. Um, doesn't matter whether you are aiming and if that um, bow is busy propelling the arrow forward. Uh, so one of the stuff that really bothered me was the slack in that carbon tube that prevented the whole system to move as a unit. So I had like three different parts moving um, at the same time, which messes with the consistency because it's not always the same. If you um, make a mistake with your grip, let's say you put too, uh, too much pressure, uh, too much pressure, sorry, falling um, over my tongue there on your lower wrist, then um, the, the bow would react uh, a whole lot differently with the uh, less stiffer stabilizers. So you are manipulating the whole movement and the oscillation of the bow. So each time you'll get different groupings. So it starts throwing the arrows up and down uh, most of the time, but then also you get this, if you have, well, if you combine that with a, um, slight bad release it will go to the left top right top 
or uh, stuff out of the bottom as well and it's really unexplained so my my first step was to do to get the whole system nice and rigid so we had to do some magic with the carbon fiber bars and um it it also would have probably helped if i had a heavier bow um but at that time it was a problem that i sat with and i had to sort it out in order to uh to improve my scores um and so the stiffer bars gave us better consistency um it reduced a lot of movement not just while you are aiming because that is one part of where the stabilizers come in is to aid you while um trying to to pin your sight to the target um again if it's too weak you have this um undertone in movement floating around and you can't just put your finger on why it's causing um this this whole system that you're holding in your two hands to not stand mm-hmm. still um so getting uh, back to the stiffer bars that sorted out the the aiming process uh for us immediately but for me it was a trick to figure out how to keep your bow in one place while that arrow is coming through and if we can repeat it um even if you mess up your grip and your release then you are back to only two uh variables to try and sort out so i want to give the guys um the the confidence that the gear is working like push your focus back to yourself try improving yourself um I'll, I'll i'll try and do my best to give you the best gear in terms of material and performance uh, that you can put your hands on and then focus on you and when both of those two variables your bow and yourself are sorted out um then you get into a tricky situation and you can pull it off and you that's that's how success is created when you know your equipment can deliver you are capable of uh, pulling off a really good shot and you make the best of that four or five second window that nature presented to you and you have your meat in the freezer or if even if you are doing your target shooting um you're on a um, high pressure match um let's say you are doing the 720 feet around uh busy uh, doing your elimination rounds you're in a gold medal match uh i the, the last thing i want you to worry about is the stabilizers or the equipment that we make um i want you to move all your focus back to where you think it should be um and also on the other side uh, i like it when the equipment performs whether you are carrying a knife driving a truck shooting a bow um or even a computer for that matter if i can squeeze it and it performs i will buy it definitely and if it looks good i'll pay even more that's awesome <laughs> that's awesome yeah no for sure i i agree with that 100% like like we talked about at the beginning you want it to work good but you also want it to look good you know and i love the way that you guys have made it look so clean you've engraved your your logo and the name of the different mounting like the you know you've got the Vulcan Pro and then you've got the Vero uh system which is the the sidebar or backbar mount um and and i like how it's engraved it's part of the seracote and it's not like i know the original bars you had have quattro across which still looked very clean but even the next like you took the feedback that a lot of people had been providing mm. and you took that off the carbon tube and you just engraved it into the aluminum which it just looks so clean and honestly it starts a conversation when people see the bars and they're like oh well what what bars are you shooting cuz those look really good you know or the different <laughs> weights that you guys have the grippy weights that i haven't yes. seen anywhere else you know that's a different thing no. as well and people ask you know what what are those bars and then you start having that conversation um and also and i know you and i have talked about this um the the market seems to be shifting towards the micro stabilizers a lot for looks and people are taking the uh, i guess wind drift is what they're thinking about you know in in mind and honestly i personally have shot both the micro diameter and the ones i'd compare them as far as arrows are concerned micro diameters are 4 millimeters 
And then for me, the regular arrows, which used to be small, considered small, are the five millimeters uh, or the yes. 240, I guess is what they're, mm. or the 204, sorry, the 204 um, internal diameter, but the, the five millimeter. And for me, that's the difference between the micro stabilizers and then your stabilizers. And it seems like the 204, right, with the arrows or the five millimeter arrows still have better componentry. They're a lot more forgiving. They they function a little bit better than the four millimeter shafts do. Um, and, and so it just seems like with the with the stabilizers, having tested out the small, the micro diameters versus yours, yours still seem to dampen a lot better. Um, and also they hold a lot better. And I don't notice much as far as the wind. And I've shot in some pretty windy situations. And I don't notice much as far as wind drift pushing me left or right. Um, I notice that more with uh, you know, the, a bigger bow, which has more surface yeah. area this way or Absolutely. more arrows in your quiver, uh, catching that yep. wind going back and forth than I do the stabilizer. So, um, I guess talk to us about maybe the, the internal dampening that you and I've kind of talked about. You've got some special system that you put in there as well. It just <laughs> seems to dampen a lot better than other stabilizers that I've tried. Absolutely. So I can I can uh, start with the diameter stuff real quick. So our first uh, hunting stabilizers was a uh, 21 millimeter uh, outer diameter, which is it's quite thick. Um, then we, uh, like you said, the market shifts to um, a, a certain style of gear. And um, we noticed the trend, and I also wanted to design something a bit sleeker because uh, we we can um, make something look good and feel good at the same time. But I'll never compromise on the performance for the looks. Though um, mm -hmm. I'll I'll definitely sort out the performance first and then cater for um, for the aesthetics on a uh, on a later basis always, and. Um, the stabilizers are already round, so they are almost as aerodynamic as they can get. And a lot of people neglect that your body um, in the wind is is the largest surface area um, that's that's involved into the system. And then obviously you have all these other edgy um, accessories on your bow, like your quiver, your sight, uh, the whole riser, the cams. Um, everything on your bow uh, obviously makes a difference. And I've had a few guys who um, uh, then, then answers back with the argument, yeah, okay, but you, you said you want to squeeze out every single job of performance out of the equipment um, and going, let's say, to a 16 millimeter um, carbon fiber tube instead of the now current 18 millimeter carbon tube is going to degrade the performance so much um, and it, it makes our manufacturing um, a lot harder as well because uh, at a certain um, spot we we have to start working with shorter mandrels because we are putting a lot of tension on the mandrels uh, while weaving the tubes um, so it we we've stumbled upon um almost like a sweet spot uh, between the performance the manufacturing process um the 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 lengths and what we can manufacture it in uh, the time it takes to mm. to weave uh, a carbon tube um so we we obviously wanted to go for something sleeker so we we first started off with the fierra uh, which was our very first um a hunting stabilizer, uh, it progressed into the Vulcan, uh, which was roughly the same uh, diameter, but it had uh, a, a slightly more advanced carbon tube. And also it came with that, um, what was our first version of the internal dampener. Uh, then uh, just after lockdown, um, we sat down and I was at that time busy with my final year project for the business. Um, and it spawned the birth of the Vulcan Pro. Uh, so we are at the second generation of the Vulcan Pro. And um, I, while focusing on the aesthetics and the, uh, the performance, I didn't want an external rubber dampener to ruin the looks of the equipment. Um, I really like the sleek look that we had on the target bows. 
Um, and then obviously there are a wealth of different compounds that we could choose from. Um, but it more came down on way inside the tube. There's uh, dampness sits, uh, which will um, give you a more effective vibration dampening position, basically for each different length of tube. And then obviously um, the the compound that we work with is, uh, it's, it's a rubberish type of compound, but uh, it's a liquid when we pour it into the carbon tube. So it molds a lot easier. Um, and yeah, it's there's nothing sticky on the outside to worry about. Even if you're in the hottest desert sun, uh, that is going to melt on you or uh, get tacky, get onto your clothes or inside your bokeh or stupid stuff like that. And um, it, it it's a real game changer. Even if we handle the raw carbon tubes without the dampness um, at home, before pushing them through this whole process of the internal dampening um, uh, process of ours, then we can actually hear the difference when they clunk against each other or you drop one on the table. I'm like, mm. damn, this thing makes a huge difference, even just handling it during the manufacturing process. So the the thing that we really gave attention to is way inside the tube to, um, uh, to place it for each different length. Um, that took a lot of time. It's weeks upon weeks of lab testing, um, having sensors on diff different bows. And then also not all of the bows, which is a real headache, uh, but it's also exciting when the bow companies come out with something new, is the different um, harmonic frequencies and the positions where they focus the most vibration on. Um, you have different mounting positions, um, different lengths of bows, and then even your arrow weight um, absorbs a certain amount of energy from the bow. So you think you're working with really good data, um, but actually you're not because you've messed up your arrow weight um, on, on some of the uh, bows. So on the slower bows, we go with a very, very light um, arrow setup to, to get some really hardcore data on it. And then... Um, the other thing is then when you have all of these data on where to position it, you're starting right over just because of the shore hardness, which is basically the firmness of this uh, substance that we use, mm. um, is because when you go to soft, it moves uh, too much under the vibration and it doesn't dampen uh, as much. And then when it's too stiff, yeah, the, the vibration just goes over and through it without sucking out any of mm. the energy. Um, and we also do not want to um, use a whole ounce of this substance uh, and adding uh, too much weight to the already lightweight carbon fiber tube that we've spent hours on uh, designing and tweaking um, between the different degrees and uh, different weaving patterns. Um, so we also wanted to get away with uh, as less possible uh, dampening material. Um, so getting all of those together into uh, a nice firm sweet spot where all of the bows or most of the bows, let's say 98% of the bows are happy with what you've put in there, um, I think was uh, one of our biggest challenges designing this product. And on the surface, it looks like a piece of stick with two screws at the end, weights on this side, two aluminium end caps, and it's sprayed with a rattle can or some stupid uh, easy paint that you can use, get from, from Walmart or any MassMart uh, shop. Um, then you're making a huge mistake. We have some aerospace engineers <laughs> drawn into this whole yeah. manufacturing process and the designing and everything. So... Um, I, I think I went in over my head uh, for creating something for hunting bows <laughs> that the guys are swapping out each and every single year for the newest model. But um, that's yeah, just a testament of how critical I am for stuff to work, uh, even for years to come. And then 
yeah, it's uh, it, it's a passion. I mean, if I'm going to struggle with my own stuff in the field, um, I'm going to be super mad at myself for not giving more attention to uh, a certain design or not sorting out a small flaw uh, because it can cost you a hunt. Um, it's as simple mm-hmm. as that. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm not really one for uh, for struggling. So yeah, I do that while we are uh, doing the prototypes. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, like you can tell, I've, I'm not as scientifical, if that's even a word, as you. I'm, I'm not as uh, you know as smart about things like that. But what I can say is, when I put your bars on the same bow that I've been shooting my previous bars on. And I, my first shot, I, I swear, I wish I had recorded it because I seriously, there was no one around and I was just like, wow, like that was even more quiet and more dead, like less vibration than I felt with any of the other bars that I'd run before. So, um, whatever you're doing back there, your mad scientist stuff that you're doing over there is it's working. Uh, cause it, it, it's got me hooked and I really like the bars and anyone that tries your bars have said the same thing. Like they just look good. And of course, that's the first impression. They look good. They don't just look good when they're shopping for them online. They look good when you get them. And then when you mm. put them on the bow, they function the same way that they look. They just function really, really well. And so um, that that's a that's a big deal, man. I guess my, my last question, just really quick, um, the one that kind of stood out, because I did ask people for some questions. We've answered most of them throughout the conversation. Uh, but mm. the, the main one, if you could give like maybe your top – I'll say top three reasons why your stabilizers are better than any other stabilizers on the market. Right. And, and we'll say that for hunting bow. Uh, why, mm. why do yours, why are yours, uh, I guess a step ahead or why, how do they set apart from the other stabilizers on the market? So we, um, I, I do not really like the idea to outsource much of my processes. I like to keep everything in-house. So my quality control is something that I am insanely strict about. Um, I mean, there are one or two stabilizers that went out that did not uh, uh, needed to go out or had to go out, and I'll replace them with a smile. So... Obviously, um, if something it's it's not working, it went through these two hands. Uh, we are building everything ourselves, coating everything ourselves. The designs are from ourselves, um, and then we make it from the best materials that the market can supply us. Um, I've being a business. I don't think we uh, and this is uh, real words from our customers. Uh, they said we do not charge enough for the products that we build, which is very humbling uh, because uh, it, it speaks a lot for how they perceive it and how I perceive it. I want to give everybody um, at least a fair chance to to try it out and see what the fuzz is um, around all of our um, designs and what the people are talking about. Um, and then, yeah, um, I think you'll you'll get to know me better when you see more of my products coming out but i'm obsessed with designing stuff that's overkill um so i would definitely make sure um, about that so if i tell you (laughs) this will last you a lifetime uh, i will most probably give you a certificate if you break it before you are buried into (laughs) your grave (laughs) so Performance is, um, is is something that I really care about. Uh, I, I know the guys uh, throw the, the, the words performance and quality and aesthetics and stuff around. I really do take it up seriously. Uh, this is our main line of products. Uh, so it's not something that I want to mess around with. So I really want to knock it out of the park and I will continue to try and do so for the next stuff that we launch. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, for me is um, giving you the peace of mind uh, that the product will work in the field and it won't fail you. And if it does, I'll either give you your money back or give you a replacement product, uh, which haven't happened before. Um, and uh, yeah, if, if I tell you that we literally have aerospace engineers that works on rockets designing and assembling them, we have those guys on our team mm-hmm. to make sure that everything works as function. 
um, as designed um, and that we are at the best of the best that the industry can give us material wise. That's amazing. Yep. And I, I 100% agree with that and back that. And I, I have yet to find another uh, stabilizer on the market that can compete. So you guys definitely need to go check out um, Hano's work over there at Quattro Archery. I'll leave the links down below, guys, uh, where you can find Hano and his team and his company and go get some of your own stabilizers. Um, I guess before we end here, do you have anything else for the audience? Anything else you want to leave that we haven't brought up or haven't mentioned? I do not think so, but if I can think of something now in the next hour or two, I'll definitely make you post it on your stories uh, so that we can <laughs> share with the audience. <laughs> and awesome. um, yeah, maybe maybe we can sweeten up a deal for them through your channel. So that's definitely something that your audience need to check out and, and, and look out for. We'll give it um, a, a special Redbeard Outdoors um, touch. So uh, definitely be on the lookout for that. Heck yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, guys, again, you, you guys know, I like to work with the best companies, quality gear and be able to get you guys either a good discount or at least tell you what works and what doesn't. And, uh, these stabilizers just flat out work. So definitely go check out Hano, go check out Quattro Archery. Again, I'll leave the links down below. Thanks again for your time today, Hano. And I know you've got so much Anytime. going on. We, we didn't even mention guys, the fact that Hano has to deal with in all this manufacturing stuff. And I'll just briefly mention they have random shutoffs of like, it's not like here in the U S guys, if you're listening from the U S where you just get, you can flip a switch and you've got power. They have set times. And even during those set times that they can have electricity running, they can still have shutoffs. So um, the fact that he's able to produce such a high quality product at the rate that he is and keep up with it, you know, it's just, it, it's mind blowing. I just wanted to throw that in there, guys. He, he's doing this <laughs> against all these struggles that he's had to come across. And I love the fact that you're, you're overcoming them and you're, you're finding ways to make it even better by having to even move your company if, if need be. So I appreciate everything you do, Hano. Thanks so much for your time today, guys, go check out his stuff. And like I always say, get out, live your life and love it. Thanks, man. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. If you did, definitely share the podcast, tag me in it. Love to see people helping this grow. The podcast is growing. YouTube is growing. The brand is growing all because of you. Thank you guys so much. I love getting this message out there. And Hano has been a big part of that. He's been helping us out with stabilizers. Again, just the amazing stabilizers that he makes. High quality. They function great. They look amazing. He is a stud of an individual himself. He's literally traveled Europe now. By, by the time this comes out, he's gone on his trip, checked out what he needed to check out to see if they need to move. Uh, we're hoping, of course, to get him to the U.S. as soon as possible. So go check out Quattro Archery Stabilizers, guys. Links will be down below. And, of course, go check out their Instagram page, guys. They have some amazing content over there, some great photos over on Hano's page as well. And uh, if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out. You know where I'm at. And I look forward to seeing you over at Redbeard's Fit Crew as well. And you guys have an amazing rest of your weekend. And of course, get out, live your life, and love it.